This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. This podcast is sponsored by Genesis Aerosystems, a Moog company and leading provider of autopilots for rotor and fixed-wing aircraft. The Genesis STEC 5000 is the latest digital autopilot providing increased safety plus decreased pilot workload. It's being certified for Part 23 and Part 25 retrofit aircraft such as high-performance turboprop and turbine jet aircraft. To learn more about the STEC 5000, visit genesis-aerosystems.com. This week on Hangar Talk, the area forecast is almost dead. And DJI has tallied some drone saves. AOPA gives a big award to a great pilot. And the talk about ATC privatization is in the air. David, you ready to do Hangar Talk? Yeah, let's do some Hangar Talk today. Welcome to Hangar Talk. I'm Ian Twombly. And I'm David Tulis. Let's get right down to the fact that people can email us, Ian. Yes. I want to, to talk about that. Remind them that they can email us at hangartalk at aopa.org. Yeah. And um, obviously, we know folks are listening and we know you're out there. But the funny thing about uh, podcasts is we don't get to interact with you directly like we do uh, through the web and, yeah. uh, and print and stuff like that. So let us know. Uh, hangartalk at aopa.org. Email us. Tell us what you think, what you want to hear what you want to hear less of, maybe. Yeah, and we, we try to have some uh, newsy guests, mm-hmm. and uh, I think we fit some highlights on, on their guests, but there might be other guests potentially out there. Yeah, uh, so today, guests, um, this is, we're going to continue on with this destination theme um, that we're doing in all of March. You saw it in the magazine. You've seen it online. Uh, this will be our fourth podcast about it, and uh, we've got a couple of great guys from the state of North Carolina Division of Aviation. I would like to hear more about that because there's so many good places to fly, especially along the coast and Ocracoke Island, which is one of our destinations. Yeah. And a beautiful area. And of course, the birthplace of flight. Yeah, absolutely. So they've got a lot of cool stuff there. And so it's uh, Tom and Jimmy from that office. They'll be on a little later. Julie Walker will be talking to them. She made that trip down to Ocracoke. Awesome. And uh, so stay tuned for them. But first, we want to talk about some of those headlines that just came up. We're going to start with, uh, with DJI. And for all of those... Folks who are new to the unmanned world, we're talking about drones now. That's right. DJI is one of the largest drone manufacturers uh, in the world mm-hmm. of, of unmanned aviation. And they um, have a story that Jim Moore just wrote about last week. They have saved at least 59 lives by drones. You want to know how they figured that out? Yeah. Ian? What? What? I mean, is it like the drone comes down and plunks you out of the car or something? Well, based on media reports published in various countries, there have been at least 18 incidents uh, dating back through 2013, where other folks have gone on to help people out after the drones have like spotted people that were surrounded by floodwaters, wow. that kind of thing. Huh. Yeah, and uh, especially uh, a lot of folks in China, they had a terrible earthquake there a couple of years ago as yeah. well. Yeah. And, and don't forget, um, drones have been around for a little while now, mm-hmm. although they're extremely popular uh, on the uh, retailer shelves in the last uh, two Christmases, I'd say. Yeah. Crews used a drone to locate a lost film crew. <laughs> Lost in the woods. <laughs> There's irony right there. It's it like is. you use the video drone to go find the video That's crew right. because they, they can't were, find they, themselves. They out. were lost in the country of Turkey. And then uh, in February, a pair of kayakers were stranded in South Carolina. They were located wow. by firefighters deploying a drone. Huh. So that's, that's an amazing. interesting use of it. They use, ther- interesting. they use thermal imaging on that. Wow. That's and pretty cool. You know, we've talked about this a little bit. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago about this idea of are, are drones going to replace uh, manned flight? And we think it's a compliment. So you could see where... They send the thing up to go look for folks, and then they come plunk them out with the helicopter. Yeah. You know? So they use the drones sort of as, uh, like, the uh, Civil Air Patrol uses some of their technology to find people. Yeah. And then they call in the ground troops or the helicopter troops to, to pluck them out. Yeah, that's cool. Now, 
we've used drones a little bit here for some photography and right. videography, but you're starting to get into it more. You just came back from a seminar. I did. I came back from the, um, the basically the first ever drone journalism workshop. It was at the University of Georgia, the Grady School of Journalism, and uh, there were 60 pilots there and they Ian I must tell you it's been a long time since I've been in a room of 60 excited potentially excited pilots yeah so these are folks that were um, interested in the drone technology they have not all gotten their uh commercial part 107 drone certificates yet okay but they're well on their way and the the workshop discussed a lot of things that were common to us as aviators hmm. starting with and ending with safety being the utmost thing that you must keep in mind. Okay. Aeronautical decision making. So this wasn't all about like techniques to get the perfect nope. shot. It or was anything not. Like that. It was not. The interesting thing about it, uh, and I do appreciate the fact that they um, were heading this way. Uh, Matt White from Lincoln, Nebraska. He's a university professor there. He's also a sport pilot. He he mm. um, he held uh, a lot of the um, the classes and the the technical side of things. And he, uh, basically, people learned how to read a VFR sectional map. Okay. They learned about good aeronautical decision-making, and as pilots, we know not to do drugs and eight hours bottled the throttle, that yeah. kind of thing. But they also, the kids there, and it wasn't just kids. There were a lot of seasoned people there. Um, the students there learned about stress hmm. and how to eat right and how to sleep right and then pre-flight planning. Wow. And uh, indeed, pre-flight planning is like, I'd say, 90% of flying a drone. Yeah. So there is a lot more to it than the nuts and bolts of here's the controls, uh, you know, here are the blades, and away we go. Yeah. Now, did you guys talk about some of the, the equipment? I mean, you know, DJI's, you know, they're in the what people call the prosumer range, a couple thousand bucks, basically. Yeah. Um, more or less when you're talking a commercial use, expendable asset. But but some of these that um, news gathering places are using, I mean, they're, they're tens of thousands of dollars. Well, they could be. Yeah. And, uh, and then, you know, the sky's the limit. I saw one advertised uh, online for $25,000, which is mainly in a big enough drone that would hoist a, a pretty darn nice camera Yeah. Uh, in an interchangeable lens type such situation. But that's mainly for more you know, movies or high-end TV shows, that kind of thing. Yeah. Interestingly, CNN has a has a waiver where they could fly a very small drone over people. Okay, that's tether. It's a tethered drone. Oh, it's a, it has blades that are enclosed on all sides, like like a fan in your house. Hmm. Remember back when we were little and we had those fans, the box fans, the yeah. box fans. Sure. So the blades are totally enclosed with um, uh, with that kind of technology. But interestingly, CNN says that they, because of ethical reasons and safety reasons, mm -hmm. they have not deployed that, nor will they. Really? Yeah, they have. So the they went through the work to go through yeah. and get the waiver. Yeah, and I know there was a lot of press about that. Like, hey, CNN's on the forefront. Of they this, are using drone for news gathering and everything else. Well, they they actually have their own air force, and this oh. is cool. Yeah, uh, Gregory uh, Agvent is the uh, director of, of CNN AIR, their air force, and they do use um, drone technology and drone video to introduce some segments. It depends on where they are. Hmm. Uh, they showed us a really cool one about the anniversary at Pearl Harbor that was all by drone, and um, they've, they've gone out to other disasters in China, you know, earthquake hmm. coverage, things like that. But they're very particular about ethics, hmm. and we're talking about uh, the right to privacy and also safety. Yeah. And I was very pleased, as a pilot, yeah. I was very pleased to see that taking front center. Huh. So they're basically, so they're using it, but they're not flying over crowds yet. They are not. They okay. are not. But the tether would allow them to do it. They're just it deciding not to. Yeah. That's correct. Huh. That's an interesting That's decision yeah. from, from pretty pretty uh, high. And they don't use drones for every story. They yeah. actually storyboard the stories. And for those of you who are not in our business, storyboarding is kind of like, you know, getting the nuts and bolts and the outline of the story together. And then they have to prove amongst themselves between the editors and the reporters, well, would the drone video angle would that help yeah and it, yeah it, will it help how will it help hmm. so and it's not just like a kitschy thing not all and yeah. it's not an automatic given either and huh. he said that he's vetoed more uses than he has approved oh wow yeah huh. so, so that was neat yeah, that's, that's what's really interesting that's what cnn is doing and uh the national press photographers association which is uh, an association that, that tries to keep um journalists mindful of the law mm -hmm. but uh mickey osterreicher who's their legal counsel he had a, a nice presentation on the legalities of it and ethics uh basically talking about uh, right to privacy and the public's right to know so that was good to know and basically what they did you know they set some good parameters for these 60 very excited people hmm. to uh to live up to and some high standards and of course i was called on several times to straighten out matt <laughs> when he was delivering the you know some of the information that you and i've talked about even yeah. on the podcast yeah 
uh, like um, um, he was referring to the AFD, and I said, "No, man, it's called a charge supplement." Yeah, you know? and uh, but it was kind of funny. Uh, but I straightened him out on a few things, uh-huh. and he, they were very appreciative of having an actual pilot in, yeah. in, in the class. There's another pilot who was a former television helicopter pilot. Okay, and so uh, wow. so he brought a lot there. And another another gentleman was a former. Um, police department uh, helicopter pilot. So we had several people that had good aviation experience. Yeah. But I'd say there were two or three pilots in there and 57 that will soon be, yeah, be pilots. Part 107, yeah. which is commercial drone pilots. Yeah. Wow. They're Very gonna have, cool. They're, they're going to have three more of uh, those sessions around the country. Hmm. And uh, let's hope that they continue to keep safety at the forefront yeah. and learn about piloting and uh, aviation. And hey, let's grow the population. Why yeah. not? That's cool. Because I, I assumed when you're going to the seminar that it's like, oh, it's all about, you know, how to get the right angle and payloads and what's the best tech out there. But no, it's really more of an application type of situation. What you'd get more at a flight school than it was exactly. a journalism It was like seminar. a ground school. Yeah. It was like a ground school. Huh, and in, cool. in fact, uh, the way they presented it, it was a, a ground school of a lot of definitions and a lot of uh, decision making followed by some some fun times flying robots. Yeah. So we actually did go out and fly them <laughs> awesome. on a field. We had like two, about two and a half hours to fly them over there at UGA in Athens, Georgia. It was a beautiful day. But uh, one other thing that was interesting, because, you know, the Part 107, if you're a commercial pilot, you're supposed to keep that drone within sight. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. And so we were just on an intramural football field. Hmm. Okay. And then if you flew that the drone, you know, as far away as you could fly yeah. it yeah. and still see it, you know, they disappear pretty quick. Oh, I know. They're small. Yeah. yeah. So as a pilot, you know, when we're looking outside the windscreen and trying to um, gauge where other aircraft are converging yeah. on us or we're passing them, that kind mm-hmm. of thing, you know how hard that is. Yeah. And those aircraft are big. Yeah. So these small, you know, robotic aircraft, they're, they're smaller. Yeah. And it makes it even harder to see yeah, and keep an eye on it. Yeah. So it was really interesting to drive home the point. Like, hey, seeing a void technology, you need to keep an eye on that thing. It's like they should paint them all blaze orange or something. Well, that's not a bad idea. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> all right, cool. So moving on, uh, we tease this just a little bit. Uh, AOPA, now for the second year in a row, and, and kind of the first year that we're going to continue this uh, in perpetuity, I guess you could say, is we're awarding this Hoover trophy. Yeah. Um, as in R.A. Bob Hoover. Uh, we talked about him when he passed away uh, last fall, and this is a really cool award. It, it's a re- you know it's obviously a new award. Um, the first recipient was Bob, mm-hmm. um, but it's really neat. The the award itself is a replica of a statue that's in the Air and Space Museum with his commander. That is so cool. Uh, it is really neat, and and um, and the idea is that the winner will exemplify Bob's sort of passion for airmanship and for the people of aviation and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, um, he was a humble guy. He really was. Yeah. Um, just a fun-loving guy and humble. And Bob was the winner last year. This year we awarded it. Uh, there was a ceremony. It was at National Airport. It was really cool. Also gave away some awards to some congressmen. And so it's just a great night. And gave it to, to um, Sean Tucker. Sean Tucker, aerobatic pilot extraordinaire and a good friend of Bob Hoover. Yeah. Yeah, and he told this great story where when he was a young guy just getting into the air show business, um, he ran, he saw Bob and he's like, oh, this guy, he's a mentor to everybody, you know. And yeah. So he ran up to him at the show and Sean was like, hey, I hit the big time because I'm going to fly in the same show as Bob Hoover. Uh-huh, finally. And so he, he meets him and he says, you know, he's like, he's like, Mr. Hoover, Mr. Hoover, I'm flying in the show today. And and so Bob brings him into a car and they start talking. And, yeah. And Hoover says to him, he's like, well, why do you want to, why do you want to do this? Why do you want to fly? And. And Sean, he's got this thing where he calls it the dance. Right? Uh-huh. That's why he, aviation, you know, uh, aerial dance. Yeah, um, that's his that's his thing. And he's like Bob, you know, I love the dance. And he's like, well, that's good. He's like, why do you really want to do it? And he said to him that it's like you have to love the people. First, Hoover said to him, you have to love the people. Yeah. And he had this great thing where he said you have to you have to love them enough and respect them enough not to hurt yourself because they'll always remember that. Yeah, because basically right. you're going to crush them if right. you do that. Uh, which I just found fascinating. It and was just a, a really great perspective, and he he told another a piece of that, which is that you know Tucker was doing this upside down ribbon cut. He used to do this as I don't know if he still does, but did for a long time as part of his act with like toilet paper or something. Yeah, or it's or like ribbon? he flies over the oh. runway at ten feet inverted oh, okay, okay. with the tail of the airplane. Oh, I see. Cuts it. You know? I have seen that kind of routine. Yeah, and so Hoover said to him, he's like, "Hey, that's really cool. Why don't you bring it up just a couple feet?" And, you know, it's going to be safer and get the same effect. And he did. Yeah. And um, he said something like, if, yeah, you're gonna, if you don't move him up, you're going to bust your button. Yeah. That's what Hoover said <laughs> yeah. in this folksy way. Yeah. That's so, cool. It was, it was cool. And the night, it was just so neat. I mean, um, 
they uh, it was the same time about as the NBAA uh, board meeting, and so there are these um, heads of uh, jet aircraft manufacturers, senators, congressmen. You know, you got these great pilots. John and Martha King were there, and Sean Tucker. It w- it was just really neat. It was an interesting event, and I must say that I hustled home to uh, watch it on Facebook Live, and that was one of the first times that we tried to use Facebook Live with our um, li- uh, AOPA Live this week, folks. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I thought that was real interesting. We had a little bit of a pre-show ceremony where you couldn't really call it a red carpet. I mean, you were there. Did they have a yeah. red carpet or something like it that? It looked like it, actually. Okay. It was really neat. There was this little backdrop yeah, uh, little with backdrop some graphics yeah. and lights, and they would bring people in and interview them. Yeah, I mean, it, it was really neat. like a red carpet. Well, it yeah. looked pretty cool on Facebook. And yeah. At one point, uh, there were about 160 of us chatting back and forth on Facebook. Oh, and, cool. Uh, you know, a, a big shout out to my, to my friend uh, Colin Graham, a balloon pilot out of Montana. He was on. Yeah. And. Uh, and several folks really like that, and I, you know, I liked it as an interactive hmm. uh, aspect. That is neat, but yeah. uh, because I couldn't be there in person. Um, but I was going to ask you: Did you ever see Bob Hoover perform in that Shrike Commander? So I, I'm I, I'm dating myself in the wrong way here, which is to say that he, I might have seen him when I was a kid at Oshkosh, but he stopped flying. He stopped performing about the time that I started really getting into aviation yeah so um you know i've seen the routine obviously in videos but not i don't i don't think i ever saw him live i i really did not know of him that's how naive i was until i wrote a story about him uh, mm. about uh, almost two years ago really and then i had to do a little bit of research okay it was you know the bob hoover movie yeah which was fascinating and for the folks who who are listening and I'm sure a lot of them actually know more about Hoover than I did. I mean, he was an aviator from way back. Now uh, he was also key during some of the, the early testing of, Mm -hmm. of jet aircraft. Yeah. He was the chase pilot for the X one. And that was, I think a personal request from uh, Chuck Yeager, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. He did more in aviation in two years than I'm going to do my entire life. Right. Um, It's just amazing. I mean, it's just tick him over and over the stuff that he was that he accomplished and he was able to do is incredible. So he has a famous routine where he pours a a glass of iced tea or water or something Mm -hmm. in the stripe. While he's doing a barrel roll. While he's doing a roll. Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, that's with engine shut off. Yeah. I don't know what point he would do the pouring versus the shutting off. But yeah, there was a whole thing about energy management where he would... Yeah, he would do. Uh, he'd come down, do like a low pass with the engine shut off. Go up, do like a barrel roll, come back down, like land on one tire, land on the other, and pull off and stop at the runway, all with the engine Just shut down. Amazing, so, an yeah. amazing person, very humble. One thing that really gave me shivers, and I was I was so surprised. I I I was like a regular participant. I didn't know this was coming, but he introduced himself via video, yeah, it gave me shivers. Yeah, Do you remember how that came about? We sat down with him in Oshkosh last year. One of the last times he was, you know, he kind of came out publicly in an air show, and, and he, he knew this was coming. We talked through it, and he basically, yeah, he, on video, introduces the award himself and says that he's proud to present it in his name. And For the folks who couldn't see it, it's online at AOPA.org. Just do a quick search for Hoover. You'll find it. It's just phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, to tell you what, it was so cool to see. Yeah. It is neat. Yeah. So that was fun. All right. So moving on, uh, the area forecasts. Uh, we, talked, we, we teased this a little bit. The yeah. area forecasts, if you haven't heard, and maybe you, maybe you haven't, they're going away. Now, we're talking about the area forecast. This is mainly a text-based product, yes. correct? Yes. Has been uh, in the past. Uh-huh. That's right. And so this is interesting because a lot of people don't use them, right? They they go and they get graphic or they call a briefer or whatever. But it, it is a unique product, though. A lot of times it feels like some of the graphical products sort of, you know, just give us a slightly different take on the same information. Yeah. But um, area forecasts, like the name says, meant to cover a wide area, An right? area, sure. Area beyond what the METARs or the TAFs Sort of cover. a wider dive. Yeah. Yeah. Which was really nice. Yeah. And a lot of times when you get, you know, you call the briefer... And they'll say, they'll go through the synopsis and they'll say, oh, generally Western Pennsylvania through central New York and all that, that's an area forecast that they're, uh, that they're relating. Getting the bigger picture. Yeah. So they've developed a new product that's meant to replace the area forecast. It's more graphically oriented. Yeah. Which is obviously the way people are going. They're calling it the, uh, what is it? Graphical forecast for aviation. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So what would be the acronym for that? GF. F-A. Yeah. Uh, GIFA, although, it's a GIFA? Although they, they just call it a G-F-A. Oh, okay. Yeah. G-F-A, okay. Yeah. <laughs> they dropped the four. Um, but oh, yeah, the basic idea is uh, essentially graphical area forecast, which which uh, National Weather Service thinks will be 
easier to read. Um, pilots will use it more often. That sort of thing. It's been out for a little while. I have seen it already. Yeah. And um, and, and poked around with it a little bit. And uh, as some of the new technology comes on board, I think pilot, a lot of pilots are really at the forefront of technology. We're, yeah. we're gadget freaks anyway. And we like that kind of cool new stuff. So uh, I don't think this will throw anyone for a loop or anything. Do you? No, I don't think so. And AOP has had a lot of input into it. Um, and we've gotten member feedback to be able to create that input. Um it is kind of funny, curious. I mean, you you know, you say you've seen it and, and maybe used it, and it's like it's been out. And they, the National Weather Service, they call them experimental products. They do, but then they do. But it's like they're current, and you and you use them. Everybody so, uses them. Yeah, like I've the never ads, the ad side, the ADD. Yeah, side, even way ex- back when experimental it was like for years. Experimental icing yeah. forecast and stuff. I've never. I mean, it's like why? Why it's it's out? Just it, it's there. So anyway, when the area forecast goes away, which is going to happen April thirteenth. Okay. That GIFA. I'll call it a GIF. Yeah, that's going to go live the same time and will not be experimental any longer. So that's soon. Yeah. Talking about April. Yeah. Okay. And then then, uh, I'm reading a a little note here on the story um, where we uh, talked to Rune Duke, our airspace guru. And then starting in July, Mm -hmm. flight service specialists will begin working with GFA static images in weather briefings. Yeah. So hopefully getting some of that. Oh, through central Pennsylvania, I gotcha. western New York, kind of. Yeah, this is what we see. Very interesting. I, I'm yeah. looking forward to that. I think that uh, people do uh, respond more gra- to graphics, and mm-hmm. it's a more of an um, online thing since we yeah. are trained to see images more frequently now than we used to. Yeah, I agree. All right, so, so from forward-looking to looking back and uh, draconian measures and all that other garbage you wouldn't be talking about santa monica would you i may be yeah <laughs> unfortunately uh we got to talk about it again yeah it's as as the santa monica airport turns, <laughs> turns. we need to get music for that oh uh, yeah <laughs> so um so yeah aopa we filed an amicus brief right yeah so we've talked about the agreement right uh-huh. we know um the airport, the city wants to close it. FAA struck this agreement, thought it was the best they were going to be able to get. Right. Airport can shorten the runway immediately. Obviously, lots of different reactions to this. NBAA uh, wants to go and challenge the legality of the agreement. Okay. Um, we're taking a more direct approach at the city because, you know, immediately we saw, and we talked about this before, we saw yeah. like they were talking about... Um, trying to kick out leaseholders again, and they were talking about, uh, what was it, like there were, checks for pilots when they came through the gate or there, something and like they were, that? Weren't they also holding over their head, dangling a little bit over their head, uh, the FBOs that yeah. would or wouldn't be able to service uh, pilots with fuel? So yeah. that's another thing to think about. I know. It's um, it's crazy. And, and so, we have news on that, too. Yeah, yeah, right. Just found out, what, today, I guess. That uh, American Flyers will be pulling out of there in the very near future, yep. which, which is I'm, sad to see. It is sad. I'm sure the city's thrilled. Um, but well, yeah, well, they were competitive uh, price-wise for fuel. Yeah, and uh, and that's something that pilots are. You know, pilots are. People think pilots have a lot of extra cash. Most of us are pretty yeah. cheap. I think so. Yeah, <laughs> economical. Yeah. I was a Mooney owner, and they had. You know, they they were called cheap. <clears throat> I can't say the other word that goes with that. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but yeah, but so um, that, that that didn't look good today. But this uh, the friend of the court brief. Yeah, that was the action that yeah. we were talking about. So instead of you know targeting the entire agreement, we're focused specifically on this idea of making sure that the letter and the spirit of the agreement is followed. Okay. The FAA obviously is going to follow its part. I think in terms of uh, you know the airport's going to stay open legally open right Right. but what we're concerned about is that what they're not going to really get into is making sure that the city in good faith operates the airport during that time to live up to their agreements yeah and so we want to make sure that whoever it is that that there's a third party aspect of this that this is definitely uh, that there's a police. Someone's looking at it, yeah. overseeing it, and yeah. to make sure that it's it's open until 2028 yes. as uh, scheduled. And again, we talked about this a couple of podcasts ago. Um, our podcast listeners will remember the people in charge that are on the different boards out there and the folks that are elected. Uh, there'll be another election cycle. They mm-hmm. might be 
they might not be there forever. Yeah. Yep. There might be a change of heart. Yep. So this is not a done deal over and out. No, it's not. Not at all. Um, it's funny, actually, because Barry Schiff's going to be writing about this for the May column, and, and he started at Santa Monica, and he's got this great historical perspective on it um, back in the 50s. Uh-huh. And he, you know, even he, seeing this for now a couple of decades with the city and wanting to close the airport, basically, you know, he says, well, where there's life, there's hope. Right. Um, that and sense. that's always true. And so, yeah, I, this is just one, this is just the latest in, in what we're going to be doing to try and preserve the airport, but it'll, it'll continue. And we're now, for those who have forgotten, $275 million in yearly economic impact mm-hmm. and 1,500 local jobs. Yeah. That's pretty darn significant. It is. It really is. Yeah. Yeah, so something else that we're going to be focusing on, this is going to be a big deal, oh, yeah. as they say. This is a big deal. It's coming up. Yeah, uh, ATC privatization. Now, this is not a new subject. No. I remember hearing <laughs> about this even like a decade ago. Yeah, I know. It is hard to keep track, isn't it? It's like, okay, are we talking about the really old type of ATC privatization or the new one? or the Yeah, what, it's like so many different iterations of this that we've had to fight over the years. And a lot of moving pieces, too. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I, I can understand uh, I can understand some people thinking that, that there need to, needs to be some changes in ATC. However, we have you know, next-gen stuff coming online. We've got mm-hmm. ADSB coming online. Mm-hmm. The American airspace is the safest in the world mm-hmm. right now mm-hmm. and uh you know like why change that yeah what's the, the expression <laughs> if it ain't broke right? don't be fixing that yeah so anyway we're, we're talking about this because as you've probably heard by now the trump uh administration has proposed atc privatization in its budget right it's funny because obviously in the aviation press is getting attention because it's important to us not much outside though because there is so much else to, to talk about to in that budget, people. right? Yeah, was a lot of now. This is part of the infrastructure rebuild, yeah. part of the of the budget, yeah. So um, that's where the tie-in comes into into effect. But yeah, there is a lot going on elsewhere as well. But now, isn't part of this, or it really isn't some of the impetus of this to keep the FAA and ATC people open and not shut down in case there's a budget crisis? Well, you know, I I think people, some people in Congress who have proposed doing this in the past, say that. Yeah, it's uh, this would provide a stable funding source for ATC. That's their argument. Yeah, and that's important. I don't know. We, I don't pi- buy it. No, I don't <laughs> do And as pilots, we our staunch uh, reaction to that is no user fees, never, no how, no way. Yeah, that's right. If there's one headline to this whole thing, what you have to know, no user fees. No ifs, ands, or buts. No user fees. And AOPA is fighting hard for that. Mark Baker told us that yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, we know, everybody knows, around the world, you start user fees, you kill general aviation. Right. No it's like, it's like that in other countries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. That's a real hindrance. Now, in the privatization part of that, there's lots of details that need to be worked out. We, we have not, there is no proposal. I nope. mean, there was last year. Right. Uh, but there is currently not a proposal. And so there's not a lot to say about it other than our stance against user fees remains and will always i think yeah until we know more about the actual privatization i mean you know the trump administration proposed they said hey it was sketchy on details right um very light on details yeah privatize atc and you know moving on Um, but privatize it and make it its own entity and then run it as a separate organization but then the question would be, where does the money come yeah. from to fund that? Yeah, they didn't address it at all. Right. I think yeah. that's a big problem. I think yeah. uh, we're going to have some, uh, there'll be some folks on the Hill that will not stand for that. Yeah, I, I agree. And so there, we'll see, I think, the the actual proposal, the details, probably in a couple of weeks Yeah. Um, from the, the House committee. And then we'll get to start talking about, okay, what are these details? What is it that we like about the next reauthorization bill? What is it that we're just sort of okay with? What do we hate? And and yeah. we don't know yet. Good point. And now the way that the airspace uh, control is funded now is it largely from the the I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but mm-hmm. isn't it largely from like fuel taxes and and airline fees and passenger fees? Yeah, the FAA. It's it's I don't think people realize how little of okay so let's say um you're joe smith and you're in kansas and you never fly in the airlines right i don't think people realize how little of the fa is funded by joe smith in kansas who never flies on the airlines okay or never buys aviation fuel or anything else uh, most of the faa is funded through 
Uh, well, essentially a use tax, uh, 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 you know, I mean, it's as a passenger it. on a, on a commercial airline, like yeah. Southwest or American air or Delta, something like that. Yeah. And through fuel taxes right. and, and those other things, just like, you know, a, a fair amount of the road system, although a much higher proportion is, is general funded, but some of the road system funded by oh, from, gasoline tax. Right. And also from, uh, from maybe long haul truckers that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. 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 So not, not unlike that. Okay. So. so share the road, share the airspace, that, that kind of thing. <laughs> Some yeah. parallels there. That's right. Yeah, so uh, we'll be talking about that a lot in the future um, because we'll know the details. The we'll tip of the iceberg, but we wanted our podcast listeners to get in on the ground floor of that. Yeah, so just remember, no user fees. That's all you got to remember. That's right. All right, David, uh, let's talk about our guests. Let's bring them on. A um, couple of guys from the uh, aviation department in North Carolina. Have you? Um, we're we're going to talk about Outer Banks have you gotten to fly down there any at all yet? I have not flown the Outer Banks. Okay. I, I believe you have. I yeah, a little bit. You know, when you live in this area, and you will shortly because yeah. it's so close. Yeah, the Outer Banks are a great GA story. Yeah, we live in Frederick, Maryland, right mm-hmm. north of DC. Getting around Washington DC is a nightmare, um, traffic wise when you're when you're driving, right? Uh huh. And then the Outer Banks, basically, depending on where you go, has one road. Oh, that's right. Well, one way in, one way out on yep. Ocracoke and Naxet. Yeah, I, I will say I will say that half flown on uh, the coast. Yeah, when I was in my photojournalism days, I oh, was wow. with. Yeah, I was with a, another, like with a general aviation pilot, but I was a photographer. Oh, cool. So yeah, after a hurricane, definitely. Okay, I've so been yeah. Up there. And, it's a, and you're right, it's very desolate. Yeah, it it's, really it's is. It's hard to get around. It is. And so there are like horror stories. You talk to people around here and they're like, yeah, I mean, I sort of like the Outer Banks, but literally, I mean, it'll take them for what should be like a four-hour drive, it'll take them eight hours to yeah. get there because the traffic is so bad. Okay. And so people avoid it because they're like, it's not worth it. The flight from here, mm-hmm. hour and a half. You are kidding me. Minutes. Yeah. That's and close. so it's it makes it it entirely changes the experience. So this is a real hotbed of activity for general aviation. Yeah. And the and the and the um islands have runways up and down uh-huh. dotting the islands. They've got some of them have great service, some of them are like practically right on the beach. Yeah. Some of them like at first flight are connected to great monuments. And so it's, and that's just, you know, that's just the Outer Banks. The, North Carolina is a great airport system, but it is a, it is a really cool destination. And they're, the islands themselves are beautiful. The scenery yes. is beautiful. And I've yeah. seen, I've seen wild horses. Yeah. There, yeah. Yeah. So, so it, it is, you know, it even is after hurricanes, the wild horses came right back. Oh my gosh, really? Yeah. Did you imagine? <laughs> And they, well, freak them out. Where else would yeah. they go? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, anyway, so like we talked about in the beginning, Julie's going to be um, talking to these guys about kind of what the airport system's like, um, what's available to pilots, and and kind of the history of how a little bit about how it came about. So. And you know, uh, probably a little bit uh, more laid back in the South. They're going to give us some tips. Hopefully, mm-hmm. I hope they talk about some uh, cool places to eat. Yeah, that's definitely. <laughs> that's, yeah, you got that's that's a given. So um, can you each introduce yourselves? Let's start with you, Tom, and tell me what your title is. Okay, uh, I'm Tom C. Freeman, F-R-E-E-M-A-N, and uh, I'm the Aviation Safety Specialist uh, with, the, with the Division of Aviation. With the, it's under NCDOT. Okay, and how long have you been with them? 20 years. 20 years. And are you a pilot, sir? I am a pilot. I'm a ATP uh, CFI, CFII, all that good stuff, even an AMP, but they slap wrenches out of my hand if I pick one up in a hangar, but that's <laughs> another story. How about you, Jimmy? Yes, uh, I'm uh, Jimmy Caps. I'm the uh, airport inspector for the uh, state of North Carolina. I do the uh, 5010 inspections uh, here in North Carolina, and also uh, have uh, Help with the 139 inspections for the uh, with the FA employees that uh, invite me to go along and ride with them. I've got, I've actually got the FA certification for airport inspections. But uh, anyway, my job, you know, here is just uh, do all the jobs that nobody else in aviation wants to do. So I, I sort of the catch-all. So I'm a, a commercial instrument multi-engine rated uh, pilot. And uh, so I've been with the Division of Aviation now since 2007, so that's about 10 years. And um, before that, I worked 
30 years with the Department of Transportation here in North Carolina and retired. And so this is my retirement job. I have a 62 C model Mooney that I get to fly around the state and inspect airports. Wow, that sounds like a nice job. <laughs> so, as you know, um, yeah, we don't believe all that stuff about him <laughs> saying he does the jobs people don't want to do. <laughs> <laughs> Flying around the Mooney in the state. I mean, that sounds pretty cool. It <laughs> sounds like, though, um, he's enjoying every bit of it. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> when, when you retire, you're supposed to do something fun, right? Right. When you retire, so, I mean, and flying fun, is fun. So. <laughs> so, as you know, um, we flew, we being AOPA, flew down to the Outer Banks and stopped at all the airports along the way, as well as ended up in Ocracoke Island. So I wanted to ask you both about um, those airports. They're so well-maintained. They're just lovely, great spots to stop in. Can you give us a little bit of their background? First of all, what I found, I did some research about uh, Ocracoke, and it was uh, built uh, by the uh, Division of Aviation in uh, 1968. And uh, the Billy Mitchell Airport, was built sometimes in the 60s. I couldn't find the exact year, but it was probably uh, sometime in the 60s. And then the uh, airport there adjacent to the Wright Brothers Memorial was built in 1963. So those three airports basically were built by the uh, state, and we have a memorandum of agreement between us and the uh, National Park Service that actually owns the, uh, that they're actually on the National Park Service land. So we're the airport maintainer, airport manager, you know, as far as those three airports is concerned. We uh, continue doing maintenance on them on a regular basis. We, uh, we just got through in 2009 we added an emergency helipad there at Ocracoke for evacuations. That's the 100th 100 pad that was in coordination for being able to handle all the military helicopters. So we did that, for, you know, for the island for emergency uh, services. And then this year we are just, uh, I think, the approach plates. We have our uh, nav approaches on the Ocracoke and on the Billy Mitchell Airport. We, we're just publishing the RNAV approaches at first flight this year. So that was a big accomplishment uh, that we did there. Hey, Jimmy, do, do you remember um, when there were no airports there? Am I getting your age right or not? I don't remember that. I wasn't that uh, big into flying uh, during the in the 60s I, and stuff. So I, I really don't remember that. It was a little bit before my flying career started. So when your flying career started, though, did you learn in North Carolina, and did you fly yeah. those airports? Yeah, I did. Uh, yeah, when I uh, first learned, I did go uh, fly, you know, around the state. But I started, I think, my let's see, it was in '75 is when I first started flying. So okay, Tom, did you um, learn to fly in North Carolina too? I did. Um, my father taught community college aviation over at uh, Guilford Technical Community College, which has the I guess it's the largest aviation program in the state. So I, I just grew up around airplanes. So the short story of the background is uh, some fathers and sons fished together when we flew together. So that was kind of our our thing. And uh, he, being a flight instructor too, taught me to fly through through the majority of my ratings and uh, kind of cut my teeth over at the uh, Greensboro, North Carolina airport, Piedmont Triad International Airport and uh, flew out of there, but now um, I'm based out of RDU with the uh, DOT. That's where our hangar facility is. Which RDU is Raleigh, right? That's right. That's yeah. right, Raleigh-Durham International. Okay. I guess what I was getting at with the opening of them is the one thing that's interesting, especially about Ocracoke, is how it must have changed that island so dramatically to have aircraft be able to come in because it's 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 like a two-and-a-half-hour um, cruise, uh, boat cruise, to get there, right? Exactly. They started flying uh, aircraft into Ocracoke and landing on the beach there at the uh, village back as early as the uh, 1920s and 30s. Oh. Yeah, actually, Lindbergh actually landed uh, there at Ocracoke with his plane. Oh, really? So, yeah, so it's that's been an area that uh, was 
you know, used by airplanes before an official airport was there. <laughs> So. And then when when was all the the monument uh, the Wright brothers monument at at um, first flight when was all that constructed and put in the forties? We we had there it was like uh, nineteen twenty nine I believe was the year that okay. the uh, memorial went up. Is from what I understand. Okay, so present day now, how, what kind of operations does the Outer Bank see? This uh, is very active. Uh, there's a lot of uh, People go in and out of there on a regular basis. Uh, I get calls, you know, since the airport manager number on the airport master record for the first flight in Billy Mitchell is our DOT office, aviation office here in Raleigh. So we get calls all the time about, you know, I'm flying out, you know, what's the weather out there? I said, well, you know, we're in Raleigh. So anyway, so we have the military uses the uh, Outer Banks airports for their you know, practice is landings and night operations and stuff like that is used a lot. So I would say, you know, on an average basis, I would say it's probably anywhere from, you know, 10 to 20,000 operations a year. And of course, the majority of those in the summertime. Yeah. And it's, well, you got to understand North Carolina weather in December can be 80 degrees as well. So you know, if you don't like the weather today in North Carolina, just wait till tomorrow and it'll change. <laughs> so it's uh, it's it can be some pretty nice days. We had uh, 70 degree, 80 degree uh, weather here last week, and uh, so I mean it's just you know, especially at the beach, you know, it can uh, dramatically change from you know week to week. So. Well, when we talked earlier, you both said you had some flying stories about that area. Who wants to go first? Well, mine's probably a little bit related to just our our last topic there. If that's okay, Jimmy, I'll jump in. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. (laughs) So um, early in my career, we we would fly the state's uh, Cessna Conquest into the airports, which, mind you, there are 3,000-foot strips. The good news uh, for that kind of flying is uh, you definitely go in and out light, but um, there's no real obstacle except for the dunes. Uh, they're they're there. I don't think we do much of that anymore. But um, uh, so we we went down there on a trip uh, during the season uh, to Billy Mitchell Airport, and it was um, very hot. It was the summertime, so density altitude, you know, was high, and and uh, we did manage to get in. But at that time, there wasn't the facilities uh, that we have today. Pretty much, it was just the awning uh, that was kind of over there. So they try, were trying to figure out a place for us to go. So it's uh, 95 degrees and, and sweating, and there's a few mosquitoes out. So we got our ties and beating the mosquitoes off of us. And then they come and uh, scoop us up and take us down to the ferry station, which is actually a, a DOT-provided uh, state service as well. So kudos to those guys. And um, so we s- sat in some nondescript uh, room for a couple hours while the, the meeting was taking place. <laughs> and uh, so flash forward to the today. It's just uh, really awesome. Um, myself, one of myself, and Jimmy's uh, former employees, uh, Phil Lanier, who is, is now running the Johnson County Airport just outside of Raleigh, uh, JNX. He really went to school on on doing that air upgrading the airport facilities, and then that's when they closed it in. And and uh, did you you squat VFR? I believe didn't you, Julie, to get into that facility? Yes, yes, and then and yeah, then. Yeah. Um, trying to think of the code is that what was on the outside of each one of them so yeah it was easy simple and and great and and like you said very well maintained and porta potties which you know everyone needs at those places too some well that's not true i guess mitchell had porta potties and the couple of the others had um bathrooms in the facility is that right am i saying that do i have that right the first flight uh you know was actually compliments of y'all the alpa actually built the uh pilot's lounge there at the first flight and uh they've got bathrooms there and also installed the AWOS there at first flight so you know that was in 2003 you know during for the celebration so that was a great improvement the uh the other two buildings at Okakoke and Billy Mitchell were actually built in 1968 and then like Tom was saying 
that building was just more or less a shelter, you know, open shelter type building, you know, uh, type thing that was built there in 68. And then Phil Lanier, you know, back in um, the early part of 2000, used some of, uh, you know, state funds and stuff. And we actually enclosed and made those uh, pallet lounges place there where we have, uh, you know, a computer. And, uh, and of course, the National Weather Service has put up the ASOS at Billy Mitchell. So out of the three airports, we've got weather at two of them. So that's, you know, really good, uh, you know, as far as that's concerned and as far as the uh, weather. And with um, with all three of them now having instrument approaches, that's a vital, important part to have is the weather. Yeah. Yeah, we, we had tried to coordinate, you know, installing some bathrooms, but, um, you know, with the – environmental situation with the park service just didn't uh didn't let us do that so well they were you know fine like i say everything's so well maintained and we're there at the end of a season really because it was the last weekend of october and everything besides being quiet (laughs) everything was clean and nice and well taken care of that our only comment was at the uh, first flight, um, the AOPA shelter, you're right, I was here when we built that for you guys down there, and um, the only problem is we all noticed that we need to take some, maybe some newer literature down. Most of the literature that's down there is dated 2003. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we need to make exactly. another visit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, add some stuff in there. But. Did so, you notice the helicopter uh, landing pad, Julie? Sure did, and actually one landed while we were there. I'm trying to remember what it was. Um, it, it definitely was military. Um, we had our fly-in at Cherry Point last year. or well, not Cherry Point, but at Beaufort last year. Yeah, Beaufort. Beaufort, yep. North Top Carolina. Was there. Oh, I'm yeah, sorry. Top I missed you. Yeah, yeah. Great, great spot. Um, and, of course, we got a tour of Cherry Point and then talked to um, the controllers there at Cherry Point. And I, I guess I hadn't really put it together not very geographically, or I am geographically challenged. I didn't realize that Cherry Point was also right along that same area um, when you head into the Outer Banks. Oh, yeah. Well, the, the cool thing about the, um, the helipad, that was something else that Phil spearheaded, is, you know, you have a, uh, a natural disaster, a hurricane or whatever, um, you know, the ferry or a boat or an airplane are the only ways to get off the island. There's no, no way to do it uh, by car. So... Um, that's where the, the helipad came in, and he talked to a lot of the military, speak, speaking of the military, about, you know, how do we build this to the spec where you guys can use it? And uh, in addition to commercial ops, what's, uh, what they're finding out is it's becoming very uh, indispensable for emergency medical. So oh, I would think. Out there yeah, especially Ocracoke, there's no, um, there's no hospital or anything there. Yeah, and then the other thing that we did there is, uh, you know, we actually added uh, – the LED lights there at the helipad, uh, you know, powered by the solar uh, situation because the runways out there at Billy Mitchell or, or Ococo doesn't have any lights. So that means that the, you know, uh, medevac people can come in at any time, 24 hours a day. So they don't have to be limited to just daylight hours. Right, right. So um, how about you, Jimmy? You got a good flying story down to that area? Well, you know, I do. Uh, the FAA requires that all the public use airports be inspected at least once every three years. And uh, I was down there um, at doing the inspections. And rather than, you know, since I have my Mooney, I can leave Raleigh and go inspect Oak Coat, Billy Mitchell, First Flight, and be back home by 3 o'clock. So, you know, rather than uh, spending the night, you know, days out there at the Outer Banks. But I was... Uh, I flew into um, Ocracoke, and on the approach to landing on runway six, I noticed it looked like something was on the on the runway. And actually, they had told me that they had got ten inches of rain the uh, night before, and so from the center line towards the beach was all underwater. Huh. Uh, you know, it was standing in in water out there. Of course, I didn't have a problem landing on just half the runway, but that was uh, sort of an interesting uh, situation uh, to go and, uh, you know, see the you know, water on the runway like that. 
Well, and it's so close. And I think that's what was the other fascinating thing about flying there is you literally can land and, you know, walk up and and there you're at the beach. They're so close. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, one of the trips, my wife goes with me a lot of times on helps me on these inspections. And one of the trips we, uh, when we got through doing our inspections that day at Billy Mitchell, we just walked over and, and just hung out at the beach for a few hours before we came back. So right, right. That's uh, pretty neat to be able to walk over to the beach from the uh, airport there. Now, we walked the other way when we landed at Mitchell. We were looking for lunch, and of course, it was, right, it was right. a week after Matthew, Hurricane Matthew, and so we walk into town, and well, we walk towards town. Uh, I, there's not really much right there, and we keep walking and walking and realize that there is just debris everywhere and kind of you know we figure it out little dollar late dollar short there with you know that it's the hurricane that's done it but my photographer starts stopping at all of the um the washing machines that are sitting out i guess every time something floods washing machines are the are the ones that really take the brunt (laughs) because there were washing machines everywhere and finally he stops and he and he takes a knob off of one of them and we all think what what are you what are you doing well he had stripped the knob on his own washing machine the day before at home and his wife was mad at him and so he he stole one of the washing machine knobs off the trash that was sitting outside (laughs) so there's benefit everywhere you have to be industrious you have to be industrious yes yes yeah yeah (laughs) Both of you fly in there. Do you have any tips for people who would be interested in flying down to the Outer Banks or Ocracoke? Well, Jimmy, we could probably both answer this one. Uh, I'll just say it's you know they're about both three thousand feet long, and um, you could you, you know there's a lot of tie down spaces. Uh, I was just looking online at the uh, the camera. You can look at the the ramp. Uh, I know it can get pretty busy in the summer. Uh, I kind of like doing the off-season thing just because you, you sort of have uh, uh, just pleasure of not having a lot of crowds and whatnot. Um, you can also call, call what is it, Howard's Pub is the big famous one there in Ocracoke. They'll bring a golf cart out for you, so don't, you, don't, you don't have to do all that walking. But yep. uh, uh, they're really easy airports to get in and out, you know, even though if density altitude can be an issue, just watch your, uh, you know, do your performance planning accordingly. And then, uh, but the good news is there's not many obstacles except for the dunes. So when we used to fly uh, in there in the state airplane, it was kind of funny because you actually, the, the airport's like just below the dunes. So as you take off, you pop up over the dune and uh, usually scare the bejesus out of sunbathers at that <laughs> point. <laughs> They'll sit straight up. But uh, they're really neat, fun airports to get into. Uh, there are there is some restricted type airspace around, but I wouldn't let that, you know, dissuade you from coming out because there's really good ways to do it. You can literally, if you're coming from the north, uh, cruise down the island chain. It's a national park, so you have to, you know, keep your altitudes uh, corresponding, uh, you know, to keep that area pristine and free of noise for for visitors. And coming to the south, you could do the same thing. Uh, if you're coming. Uh, from the west side, uh, I kind of like the route that goes right over Cherry Point, which looks like it, it's the Marine Corps Air Station. And we have a great relationship uh, there. There's uh, David Plummer, who's the liaison and uh, with the Marine Corps, and they're just great. They're, they're super folks to deal with. But if you look at it, it's an alert area over that airport, and you can get out to the, to the islands that way. Uh, so that's, that's a really great great way to to access the area and i guess you'd see the coastal um a little different than the beach you'd see the coastal lands the wetlands coming from that's the right west. yeah if if you're coming from the west there you'll you'll see that and it's a lot different you know there's uh, uh like you say though there's beaufort and newburn and and a lot of those nice places uh you could head down to wilmington probably my last tip would be uh fuel we used to a carolina coastal air tour we did one of those for several years where we cruised from Manio and we actually got special authorization to go into Cherry Point Marine Corps Air Station and then we would go down to Wilmington or Southport Um, but there's not much fuel between the Manio side and then the Southport side so 
it's very uh, Manio is a, a good hub as far as if you're looking for a lot of hotels, a lot of things to do, uh, the, the touristy kind of stuff. In addition to first flight, but once you head south, make sure you top off and, and have enough fuel for that trip. Mandio is a pretty pretty airport and um, neat one to fly into the, with the runway right on the edge of the water. It is, and you can just hop right over to First Flight and do your pilgrimage. You know, over there, everybody has to do the pilgr- pilgrimage to First Flight, and uh, that's a real easy airport as well. It's more surrounded by trees than dunes, but it's just a beautiful state because um, it, it's so di- it's like going to a different world when you get out to the to the outer outer banks portion of it which you could actually drive if you're in Nags Head near First Flight. Uh, you could actually take a Highway 12 and drop a little bit of it as well. But it's a narrow strip of land with, with the dunes, and it's just uh, something that's really diverse, and that's what's cool about North Carolina is, you know, we have the, from the kind of the mountains from the coast uh, kind, of, kind of deal, and uh, that kind of coast is just uh, so unique. So it's, it's a great trip, as you, as you well experience. So, yeah. Jimmy, what, you, what do you have on that? Well, uh, I've, like I say, I've been in and out there a lot, uh, you know, flying in there. And, you know, Cherry Point, uh, you know, approach and, uh, is really good as uh, far as that's concerned. Probably the most active restricted area is the 5314 up there uh, south of um, Manio. But uh, that's where the uh, F-15s do all their bombing runs and stuff like that. But even if, like, as long as you're in touch with uh, Cherry Point Approach, talking to them or whatever, they've actually let me fly through there. I was going uh, from actually Edenton, which is inland, and I had to get down over to Billy Mitchell. And so my thought was just to fly straight out to Manio, fly down the Outer Banks and stuff to get to it. But when I got, uh, you know, there about halfway through, the guy said, well, we got some F-15s, but these are pretty far out. I think I can get you through there before they get back in. And, you know, here I'm right going right through the middle of the bombing range, and ah. I'm just wondering, okay, how far is he out and where is he at? <laughs> you know, it's like I'm a sitting duck. This guy's putting me out here in the middle of the uh, restricted area. But uh, it was no issue, but it does make you uh, keep your eyes open. <laughs> but, uh, but like I say, those guys are really good working with you. But just like Tom was saying, uh, you know, it's, that shouldn't be something that uh, people or pilots just decide, you know, is too, you know, too uh, confusing or too hard to get to because it's uh, well worth going down there and uh, seeing the uh, Outer Banks airports and uh, spending some time vacationing or whatever down there. Yeah, we didn't see anyone else. Um, so this is late October, as I said. We didn't see anything else um, after we left the Virginia Beach area. There was no traffic that we saw. Now, you know, obviously we're keeping up and there were, there were especially at Cherry Point, there were things going on, but certainly on visually there was nothing. Um, and we stayed at, you know, the altitude, as you said, along the, along the shore and you can see, you see down in and, you know, I made up that maybe there were, you know, giant fish down there, but <laughs> you can just see everything from that. It's a, it's a beautiful flight. Yeah, it is a, is a great flight. It takes a lot for those guys to uh, keep that road clear. You know, uh, any storms that comes along, they're usually having to work pretty hard to do that. But, um, you know, all, all of the agencies, Jimmy uh, does a great job at, uh, you know, coordinating with, like, the Park Service, uh, David Halleck's the head guy. And they have a, a lot of lands and airports that they have uh, control over. And so we're somewhat like absentee landlord, but as you say, we we have enough of a, a touch that uh, really makes them a, a, a nice place to visit. So, um, and I also wanted to appreciate, uh, show appreciation to AOPA. We work with the Air Safety Institute a lot, and we just, uh, we was it last week, got finished with yep. uh, one of the seminar tours across the state. So Good. kudos to you guys. Good. Well, maybe we'll get to bring another fly-in to the North Carolina area because they're certainly very successful and great fun. Yes, we really enjoyed that. It was a, a, a great time, and uh, we're extremely happy that uh, Beaufort got some visibility. That's another inland uh, jumping-off point that you, that you can use. So, and, and the Marines are really great, too. Like I said, Dave Plummer, the liaison with the Marine Corps, and they really do, like Jimmy's example, have a um, 
kind of a philosophy where if they're not utilizing the airspace, they open up with the civilians. And I have to say, our we have, because of all the military airspace in the state, uh, you would think it would be a little more adversarial, but it's actually the opposite. The GA pilots are extremely supportive, almost like rock star status with military. And uh, we just help each other out. And that's, that's kind of a beautiful thing. That's great. Great. Well, thank you both. It was a pleasure to talk to you both. And hopefully we get to get down there again soon. I was just going to mention the Division of Aviation, North Carolina, has a booth at Building A at Sunday Fun coming up in a few weeks. So just let everybody know to come visit our booth. Uh, there at Building A. Okay. That uh, we'll have stuff passing out. Can we answer any questions about flying at Outer Banks? No problem at all. Perfect. Perfect. All righty. I will let everybody know. Thank you so much. Thank you. Right. Thanks, Thanks, guys. Nice to talk to you. All right, David. So, I, are you marking your calendar now to go to the Outer Banks? Well, you said it's only an hour and a half away, yeah. so I'll have to negotiate some time off and check it out. Yeah, it is definitely worth going. It's a really great place. Um, cool airports, easy to get to. So first flight, man, it's bucket list. I know. I really want to do that. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Especially after seeing uh, the uh, replica, a replica of the right flyer. Yeah. Definitely want to go to, to first flight. Awesome. Yeah. All right, so that's all the time we have this week. I'm Ian Twombly. And I'm David Tulis. Don't forget, you can find us at aopa.org slash hangertalk and email us at hangertalk at aopa.org. We're also on iTunes and at Sporty's Takeoff app. All right, we'll see you next time. See you next time, Ian. Yeah.